0: I'm Chase. I'm Shannon. Uh, Really, anything can be an addiction when you think about it.
1: And I've always said that.
0: All right. I'm Chase Hoffman. This is my co-host, Shannon Ferry. And we have a lovely, lovely guest with us today. Shannon, do we want to give like a brief introduction?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, we have our friend Anna Grace Galeno here with us today. Um recent graduate of NYU. She recently yeah. <laughs> graduated with her MSW from NYU. Um, and she's been working in an outpatient clinic for quite a while now. Um, and she's going back once she gets her licensure. Um and today we're gonna be talking about addiction. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Welcome to the show, Anna Grace.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. I am so just psyched to be here with you guys.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So maybe do we kind of want to start out with like talking about your experience working with addiction? What made you want to work with addiction? And then kind of we'll build from there.
2: For sure. Um, And I can even give like a little intro as to like the clinic that I work in and what it does. Um, So I work at an outpatient methadone clinic in Manhattan. Um, And so for anyone who isn't aware of methadone or what it does basically is... um, It's a form of medication-assisted treatment for people with opioid use disorder. So anyone using any sort of opioid or opiate, so heroin, fentanyl, Mm -hmm. prescription painkillers, things of that sort. Um, So methadone is used just like how people with depression or anxiety might be um, prescribed a medication. Methadone is prescribed in the same way to treat these symptoms. Um, And so it's a really important resource for a lot of people who are looking to get into recovery, um, from drug use. So yeah, it's basically the clinic. Um, and then as you mentioned, just kind yeah. of what got me into that. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, uh, one of my uncles who has now passed away, passed away when I was about 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, he suffered from drug use a lot, um, like was in and out of jail a lot. And, I guess like seeing that and kind of how it affected the family also like kind of led me to it, um, and plus two, I feel like addiction is this thing that is so different depending on who we're talking about, um, and frankly, it's everywhere and can manifest in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I also wanted to just kind of like be this person for our generation who has an understanding of it in like a different way, I guess. And like am able to educate people on addiction um, because you never know when you yourself could be addicted Mm -hmm. to something. Um, And I think it's important that like people our age in this generation has that understanding of Mm -hmm. addiction and harm reduction too. its harm reduction is so important. Mm -hmm. um, And it really ties into addiction as a whole. yeah, <laughs> in a nutshell. No, that's really <laughs> yeah. great. Do you
0: mind um, expanding on harm reduction? A totally.
2: Bit? Yeah, I mean, harm reduction is literally <laughs> decreasing harm <Love laughs> or <it>. reducing <laughs> harm. Um, but I mean, I always like to describe harm reduction just like by giving examples. So, like, if you know, like, fentanyl test strips, mm-hmm. that's harm reduction, mm. um, and it's kind of just a better approach to people who are using any sort of substance. So, um, because it's a lot like, it's not so easy to just say like, yeah, I'm going to stop using. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like it's a little bit more feasible to introduce these harm reduction methods and techniques for people because it just makes it safer for them to use. So like a lot of festivals have started having harm reduction tents. So they'll have fentanyl test strips, safe, like water for drinking, Um, Mm. they'll hand out Narcan. Narcan is like definitely something that a lot of people have been learning more about. Um, and a lot of bars in New York city actually carry Narcan at their bar now. And a lot of the staff will be trained on how to administer Narcan, um, just because of the opioid crisis and fentanyl has been in a lot of different drugs lately. So that's just kind of New York city has made this really important push, um, but there are still a lot of people out there who don't know what Narcan does or is or how to administer it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Narcan is like, again, a really huge part of harm reduction, um, but not the only part of it. There's a lot of other yeah. smaller things that people can do, too. Oh,
0: um, definitely. Yeah, my dad's an EMT, so mm. he like oh, teaches us all about, yeah, that. Yeah, all that, yeah. so a, you know,
2: I don't know why. Yeah. I'm sitting here getting all this. You're explaining it for and whatever. The, the listeners right. at home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you're he, like, I know this. I know I, this. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've known it from a very very. I have a pair of trauma shears at home. I am ready to go. My dad literally has a bumper sticker that says, "I Narcaned Your Honor Student." Yeah, it's so I'm, out of pocket. No, it's so iconic. out of that pocket. Honestly, as far as bumper stickers
2: no, go. that is so <laughs> iconic. actually. It's like,
0: uh, don't tell him that because he, the, his head <laughs> is big enough the satisfaction. <laughs> like, I, I don't really, I really don't want him to know that people like that <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, well, link me that sticker because. Oh, I don't absolutely. Want. <laughs> you need to get into it. Get, I'm gonna
0: ask him where he got it off bubble, probably. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have a do you have a question, Shannon? Yeah,
2: I was
1: just gonna. Well, it's not a question. It's a statement. Oh, okay. Don't miscategorize. Those are are accepted as well. (laughs) Um, When you were talking in a grace about how it touches everyone, Mm -hmm. like in the United States, nearly 47 million people meet the criteria for a mental, behavioral, or emotional disorder. Mm -hmm. And approximately 20 million people meet the criteria for a substance use disorder in a given year. Um, And that number is just so much higher in the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. Um, And, everyone in our community is at elevated risk for mental health disorders, substance use, and psychiatric comorbidity um, than their heterosexual cisgender peers. So Mm. it's definitely something that I feel like in our communities we need to be more aware of. And I think what you said about like bars carrying Narcan Narcan is really cool. Um, I don't think Mm -hmm. that's something I would have thought of to like ask a bartender for it. Mm -hmm. Do you know if there's any way to like tell that a bar has it? Like
2: do they have a like maybe like a sticker, like a a sign or is it just like you have to know to ask? I'm not entirely sure. Some Mm -hmm. of them, I don't know if there's like a sticker on the outside of the door. some of them like might like literally just have it in their first kit, like in their first aid kit. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them like might have a sign that says Narcan available or whatever. But I mean, unfortunately, like there is no like widespread like signal for bars mm-hmm. for people to know um whether or not they're carrying Narcan there. So yeah, like it kind of is just partially up to the person to ask, hey, mm-hmm. do you guys happen to have Narcan? Um, they'll probably ask like, why are, mm. why are you asking like do we need it right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, people will just have to ask unfortunately.
0: But that's but, so yeah. interesting too. It makes me think like um so anytime in a restaurant or in a bar, there's like a candle on a table or something. Mm. I remember learning that s- at least one person on the staff has to be fire safety trained. Okay. So is that like does just one person need to be trained in it or does like everybody need to be trained in how to use Narcan.
2: I would hope that everyone would get trained in it mm-hmm. because you never know when an overdose is going to happen in the right. bar. Um but I mean like for like my knowledge there's no like it's very like loose. It's kind of just mm-hmm. like oh like there's this bill that like bars need to start carrying Narcan, people need to start being trained in it like mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it like goes so Specific to then say, like, everyone on the staff, I would again hope so. Right. But they would need to be all <laughs> like trained in how to use Narcan. Um, so, yeah.
0: No, that's very interesting. But then that kind of leads into my next question, which is like, what would you say in your experience is something you learned either academically or professionally working in the methadone clinic? What's like one of the most kind of prevalent? misconceptions that we have about addiction that you just want to, like, clear the air or Mm -hmm. that you're, like, sick of fucking hearing
3: all the time. (laughs) No,
2: and this is something that I used to do all the time. Mm. And it's, like, seeing a homeless person on the street and saying, like, oh, like, look at that crackhead over there. Like, Mm. look at that, like, right? Like, anyone, like, that we perceive to, like, maybe be homeless or unhoused or, like... Who looks different than us or disheveled in any way? I feel Mm -hmm. like that's so common is like people are like, oh, like, yeah, like that crackhead, whatever, yada, 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 right? Which, like, it, and I mean, again, like I used to say that. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, you never know who's in treatment, let alone like who actually is a drug user. Mm -hmm. Like, I have plenty of clients on my caseload who work full time jobs. And who are out in the community. And like, there's people, like it's a whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, there's really no like cookie cutter version of yeah. what a drug user looks like. You know, you can mm. literally fall anywhere on this spectrum. Like looks like, acts like whatever, where mm-hmm. they come from. um, And so I think that's like a huge misconception. Right, Simply just like, you know, people... Will put others into a box, right? If they mm-hmm. just have this stigmatizing way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah.
0: No, that you saying that just it reminds me of like that TikTok trend or something where people were making fun of the the people who would be like, "Oh my god, I look like such a crackhead today," and you're mm-hmm. wearing like a Patagonia vest <laughs> and like. All of that shit. And you have like Jesus. a Starbucks iced coffee. Yeah. That costs like eight dollars.
2: Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. But or yeah, like crackhead energy. Like what does that yeah, even mean? What does that <laughs> like, mean? I That's so weird. That Why
0: do we oh say God. that?
2: Yeah. And obviously, like crack and cocaine like mm-hmm. aren't an opiate, but like yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's just that, mm-hmm. like, you know, like using that like term specifically. Right. Um, so yeah, just like paint, like anyone that they see on the street well, yeah it's
0: also like so um these when we say stuff like this it's so class motivated it's so racially motivated exactly it's, it's very much ties into like reaganomics like war on drugs yeah. sort of thing
2: even now i'm catching yeah. <laughs> myself calling it crack and cocaine they're the same thing right like, and it's this thing that's so mm-hmm. ingr like yeah again like i catch myself using these terms all the time mm-hmm. and like of it's like a call to everyone to know like well first of all crack and cocaine are the same thing so Mm -hmm. um and again like it's a racially separated term um definitely that kind of really sprung up during the war on drugs for them yeah Mm -hmm. people were using crack to identify black and brown folks who were using it versus cocaine is like the classier version like you know what i mean um Mm. Which is fucked up, but yeah. wait, I, I'm like, I can cuss in here, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah which is Absolutely.
0: Up. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: everyone gets a few minutes in after cursing like four times yeah. and is like, can um, I do this? And we're like, oh <laughs> shit,
3: oh fuck, oh damn. Yeah, you're
1: good. We're <laughs> like, just making sure here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. No, and they were definitely penalized under the law as well. Like the yeah, the sentences yeah. for crack were so much higher than they were for cocaine. Mm-hmm. And it's really exactly. just on the form and the way it's used, Yeah, even though yeah. the substance itself is the same. And which it's is the, bananas. it's yeah. the
0: delivery method is like yeah. what often gets stigmatized, I find, as mm-hmm. well with like. I read something diversers. about that, yeah, yeah where, where you were saying, like, cocaine is, like, the quote-unquote classy drug mm. because you snort it and it's, mm. like, a fine, like, snowy white powder and yeah. you, like, put it on a mirror, but, mm. like, um, with well, crack or, yeah, it was, or, yeah, it was, was glamour, like, you think of, like, the 80s, like, Black Mondays sort of mm. thing, like, stockbrokers, like, throwing themselves out of windows and, like, yeah. blow, the, blow you, ever seen you call that? it blow, Jesus? and um, yeah, that
2: there's also, like,
0: no. but then with, like marijuana or with crack or with heroin where you're smoking it or you're shooting it up. That's a little less elegant mm. to white society mm-hmm. as it seems. So then it's kind of it gets into really dicey territory. Yeah, yeah.
3: No, ex- exactly. And and yeah. also too,
2: actually a lot of mm. people will like normally like in the clinic. We just use the term sniffing. Mm. Um, if you want to get like medical, we say <laughs> inhalation. But mm. most of the time people just say that they sniff. Um, but you can sniff heroin or like snort heroin, like you would cocaine, which I don't think a lot of people realize Mm -hmm. that you can sniff it like that. Um, which actually that's like one of like the safer methods, like routes, because you're not using any needles. Needles. Mm -hmm. Um, so actually a lot of people have started to turn to that, but it also, again, like everything connects back to harm reduction, that right. it's, it can be mixed in with other things a lot mm-hmm. easier. Um, yeah. So no, definitely. I remember when it's in a powder, it's Yeah. Easier. It yeah. just
0: made me think of, too, there's, um, I don't know if you've heard of, like, This Is Not Happening. It's a series on Comedy Central where, like, comedians go up and they tell true stories and everything, but there's this one comic, Jessa Reed, where she talks about um, becoming addicted to meth And she starts drinking her own piss because she figures out that the high will become stronger after she pisses the meth out (gasps) because your body can't digest it. It's a it's. The way she tells it is so funny. Like, the material is so funny. <laughs> You're
2: like, I swear. Like, but I, actually... I'm like, I promise it's
0: the most entertaining 15 minutes. <laughs> oh,
2: oh, my God. I mean, I would love to watch that. So oh, maybe yeah. after we're done. Link <laughs> <hello, like laughs> And watch that video. Smash
0: that like up subscribe button.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. people do these things. Yeah, because again, like, if people just, like, mm-hmm. are trying to get high at the end of the day, like... Yeah. They will do their methods that work for them. Mm. And so if that's working for her, then you know there you go. <laughs> oh, it, happened. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Yeah. It happened. It happened. It's done. That's it. Yikes. <laughs> I know.
0: But yeah, it's just I guess on the on the flip side of that, I'm wondering from like we've talked about harm reduction. Um, there obviously we know about techniques like going cold turkey, God forbid, which
2: mm-hmm. like is hard hard very hard dangerous. Shit. Yeah, very very dangerous <laughs> withdrawal <laughs> symptoms. Can oh, be very yeah. excruciating for a lot of people. That's mm-hmm. how I continue.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's it's totally okay because we're we're here to hear your expertise ultimately. <laughs> um, we're just two idiots. So we're, just, we're just we're just kind like, of. I'm, I'm, I'm just an idiot with a liberal arts degree, <laughs> no, no, no. personally. But um, it makes me kind of think like, what um, are methods of recovery that are more um, highly promoted at the clinic, or what do they teach you in school? Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff that we might not know as members of the community outside of this world.
2: Yeah. I mean, recovery doesn't look the same for two people. So mm-hmm. it's hard to say like, what does recovery look like? Mm-hmm. Because there is no straight answer for it. Right. Um, just cause like, I mean, we always say like, just in life too, like healing isn't linear. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna have ups and downs. It's the same with recovery. Um, but like, I guess like a really important thing that like, I always say, and like this can really apply to like anyone, like whether or not you're recovering from addiction or whether or not like you use any drug, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it's just that if something happens, right? So, like in this case, like if we're talking about addiction, like if you, you know, relapse, Mm -hmm. then your recovery that you've like had so far Mm -hmm. doesn't just wash away just because of this. One, two, five, ten times maybe like that, like you're using like, again, it's it's a journey and it's never going to be linear. And I think just like remembering that just again, like in life too, life isn't going to be linear Mm -hmm. Um, because, again, like I think people also kind of like paint this picture of recovery that like, okay, like, well, you get into the methadone clinic and now everything is happy dandy and like you mm. get on it and then you're just expected to stop and that's not true like yeah you ha- like depending on you know how long you've been using this substance for like mm-hmm. you can't just stop so easily you know you yeah. have to kind of wean off of it and also like there's a lot of outside forces that um can like affect i guess mm-hmm. is, like the word to use like that can affect your addiction and your recovery mm-hmm. like We always say like, um, oh my gosh, now I'm (laughs) forgetting the word. I'm like, damn, I used to always talk about this in school. And there I am. Um, Oh, but like socioeconomic status, housing, sexual orientation, like you said. There are so many other factors. Like we uh, will... I'm gonna get into real like social work geeking out here. There's this thing hey, called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, okay. and so we know based, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> yes, period. <laughs> we, we stand the hierarchy of needs. So I mean, like, really, the hierarchy of needs states like without a stable place to live, without mm-hmm. having access to food, water, like being able to have good hygiene for yourself, then mm-hmm. like you can't achieve this like self-actualization that's at the top, mm-hmm. right? And like this kind of like then in this case, recovery, right? Or like, you know, full like abstinence, whatever term we want to use, mm-hmm. right? Like recovery starts with those base layers. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, like if you're unstable in really any of those places, it will also peer support, huge. Like, so if you're unstable in any of those places, it definitely makes it more difficult in recovery. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible. Like there are a lot of really resilient people out there who have really just gone through so much in their lives yet here they are but you know it definitely helps to have these mm-hmm. the stability at that kind of like ground level um yeah <laughs> thank you maslow <laughs> no, that's so interesting
0: though i t- oh, we love maslow we, we love, love- <laughs> maslow he
2: really like set the framework he mm-hmm. did but yeah so huge but
0: but that does make a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, it's very, I th- I'm thinking of it like a, a house of cards almost where if you like take one out, then the whole thing kind of crumbles. But totally. I know there are like more um, kind of non-traditional means of recovery out there. I found like this one article through North Carolina Health News where it talks about like um, in Switzerland, they um, fight essentially heroin with heroin by, like, taking people in and, like, giving them more heroin to, like, wean them off of it. It's a very, mm-hmm. like, non-traditional sort of thing. And then the French kind of approach it from, like, a CBT sort of standpoint. Mm-hmm. Which is cognitive behavioral therapy for the uninitiated. And <laughs> then, uh, for those who don't know her, that crazy girl. <laughs> and, uh... They put up more harm reduction centers, like needle exchanges, places to shower, do laundry, meet with social workers, psychiatrists, medical doctors, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, just kind of as a professional working in this space yourself, what are kind of the gaps that we still see and how far do you think we have to go until there's like significant growth?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, harm reduction centers Mm. are huge, but I mean, also too, just like with like the shelter system in Mm. New York City, that's something that like I've had clients who are involved in the shelter system and like for a lot of people, they would rather be out on the street than in a shelter Mm. and like. Again, I think people are always like, oh, well, like, why wouldn't you go into the shelter? Like, there are a lot of shelters out there that are not, like, up to standard, like, to where they should be. Um, And, yeah, again, like, people would rather be out on the street Mm because they're, like, at least, like, when I'm out on the street, I'm not getting beat up and I'm not being treated like an animal in the shelter. Um, So, yeah, huge, huge (laughs) gap there. And, again, like housing is so important like to have that stability Mm -hmm. and like for something like the new york city shelter system where like we think with new york city you know we have all this funding it's such a populated city that it would get Mm -hmm. more attention and it doesn't right um and yeah huge gap that's probably one of like the largest gaps that i see Mm -hmm. um it's just yeah like You know, always saying like, oh, yeah, like we're going to put in more funding into the shelter system. Like we're going to help people in recovery, whatever, like doing all this. Yeah. And most of the time it just doesn't really happen, Mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate. And it is shit. So (laughs) for lack of a better term. um, But yeah.
1: It's hard because I feel like a lot of the shelters, even when they are sufficient, there are reasons and roles to them that make people not want to go to them. Like mm-hmm. the curfew. Mm-hmm. If you have a job exactly. that ends the after 11 p.m. or like mm-hmm. you work nights, like what are you supposed to do? That's a huge right. because Sometimes they kick yeah. people out at like 9 a.m. If you just got home from work at 3, like mm-hmm. how much should you sleep? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like it's – yeah, like you said, people might be stealing your things while you're sleeping or like mm-hmm. if you have a pet, you they can't stay there. Like mm-hmm. most right. of them don't allow pets. And mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, why does this homeless person have a pet? And it's like people become unhoused. They're mm-hmm. usually not born unhoused. Mm-hmm. Like they had right. a home, something happened that led to them losing it, but they still have their pet and they don't want to give it up. Like that shouldn't be the difference between them getting housing and not. So I don't know. That kind of stuff is also something to think about within the system that's Mm -hmm. existing.
2: Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for mentioning the curfew Mm because I don't think a lot of people realize that homeless shelters have curfews a lot of the time. And yeah, Mm -hmm. and they have very, very strict rules that Mm -hmm. like you were saying, like don't allow folks to just like hang out there. So they have to find somewhere else to hang out. Mm -hmm. But then like, however they might look, or like are acting right like if they just say like hey can i just come in here and sit and charge my phone or whatever like Mm
3: -hmm.
2: a lot of places won't let them do that so Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of just like this always push and pull right it's like oh like like we're helping but then like still falling short in other Mm -hmm. areas um
0: yeah. No, definitely that's a really good I'm going to be fully transparent I didn't know about the curfew thing mm. it's very interesting but it's it's always good to learn and education is important and I've always said that <laughs> yes <laughs> it said is what we're <laughs> doing that is literally
2: what we're doing oh here. for real
0: for real it's not just y'all that are getting educated so <laughs> sit back <laughs> and and listen through me no okay <laughs> um but then that just makes you think again of like um the whole class issue behind this is that like most of the time the people who are affected and given the least accessibility are the poorest of the poor in Mm -hmm. our society and are most disenfranchised whereas like if you're rich and in the throes of substance use disorder then you can go like ship off to the fucking alps or something and they'll give you a primo treatment where you get like acupuncture and hot stone massages and shit (laughs) like that and you don't have to worry about people stealing your shit so it just yeah it's infuriating really
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and then it leads to like the over incarceration of people who can't pay for like court Mm -hmm. fees and like that kind of stuff like i have a few friends who do like legal aid in this area Mm -hmm. and one of them recently posted a thing and was like my client is going to go to jail for six months if they can't pay their court fees. like oh that was God. the only thing that was keeping them from probation. right but it's like, how is that helping? Right Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. We're just knocking people down while they're already struggling. Well, it's mm-hmm. also
0: exactly and our the legislation we have surrounding drug use is already it's been so hindered and it's facing like so much so many barriers to actually creating any real progress because like with the slow legalization of marijuana it's like there are still people who are serving like fucking 15 year sentences for like possession Mm -hmm. of even an eighth and that's the crazy thing i remember when people were talking about um now vice president kamala harris back when she was running (laughs) and they were like yeah she used to put people away Mm -hmm. because she was in the da office and would like throw people in jail for marijuana use so they're like she's no friend of the people
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah definitely
0: yeah, so it's just it's just kind of whack. Apparently there are um
1: not you on whitehouse.org. I <laughs> was dot looking go. at uh, okay, gov,
0: um, We are using da- trustworthy sources. <laughs> gov, only. I'm really interested in in the way that politicians think for some reason. I think they're magically delusional. <laughs> 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 they're a little delulu- the they're a like a delusional. Delusion. <laughs> She's just like me for real. <laughs> um but there, I f- there is like something interesting that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it says that in this, in this briefing from the White House, which was published back in 2022, um, I had it up and then I completely lost my place. Okay. There we go. It says medication for opioid use disorder, such as bu Pupineph, yes, (laughs) yes. And I'm literally just going to pass my laptop over.
2: Exactly (laughs) what you're trying to say. yeah, I got you.
0: you. you." Um, Is a safe and effective treatment. However, most Americans who need treatment for an opioid use disorder do not get it. That is why President Biden has called for universal access to MOUD by 2025. To reach this goal, the administration has advanced actions that remove unnecessary barriers that prevent medical providers from prescribing FDA-approved medications to their patients, lifted the moratorium on mobile vans, providing methadone. Another thing we didn't really touch on is like traveling methadone clinics and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's really, really, really awesome and should Mm -hmm. be funded. Um, Supported states funding the purchase of such vans and begun working on meeting individual treatment needs at times when people at high risk for an overdose need care and support. So I guess with that extremely kind of um, long-winded sort of thing. What, um, do you see as a profession? I keep saying as a professional, but that's just that me. That I mean, that's me. That's my professional. That's she, and that's her. <laughs> and <laughs> at the end of the day, it's um, how much of the what's the kind of pros and cons of like working with addiction in a major city versus like working in a rural environment where really the only options are kind of like a methadone clinic 50 miles away or like a traveling van that comes through once a month.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is the thing, like in New York, again, like because it's so densely Mm -hmm. populated, there are a lot of clinics, but also Mm -hmm. with that too, like not all clinics, like from the pandemic, a lot of clinics had to stop accepting new people. Mm -hmm. So like back like over like the past few months and just like the time that I've been there as a whole, like. We were getting so many people who had to come all the way out from Long Island mm. because the Long Island clinics wouldn't take any new people. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So then, like, they have to find a way to get here.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and again, like, in New York, like, you think that there would be more clinics and that, like, they would be able to take everybody, but they can't.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, also, clinics, clinics close down right. often, too. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess to kind of touch on your question for like rural areas and i mean again like rural areas are left without resources a lot of the time mm-hmm. because like whether it be just funding reasons you know like people people mm-hmm. are money in yeah. a lot of the cases yeah. <laughs> which like like it's dollar signs to ching mm-hmm. like more people more funding because there's a need for it and in rural areas policymakers might not recognize that need because the numbers aren't as high Mm -hmm. which again is shit I'm gonna keep on saying that because it's true um and so I mean I don't even know if that answered your question but
0: I think it did yeah yeah, I think it
2: did (laughs)
0: yeah and at the end of the day yeah yeah (laughs) and at the end of the day
2: yeah yeah (laughs) but I mean I hadn't even heard of those like traveling methadone vans I've heard Mm -hmm. and I've seen um, traveling like harm reduction vans Mm -hmm. where yeah they'll like they'll go out and um like clean up any like needles that are on the street and like dispose of them safely they'll Mm -hmm. do community outreach again like kind of I think like when you guys mentioned earlier, needle exchanges, yep. um, giving out like safe like use kits, safe, um, like I had mentioned before, a lot of people like sniff some of that's mm-hmm. Cocaine, heroin, other substances, whatever. They'll give out safe sniffing kits. Um, again, like clean water, mm-hmm. blankets, all that jazz. Love that. Um, yeah, which is yeah. so important. <laughs> who
0: doesn't love a clean um, blanket? Yeah, <laughs> it,
2: exactly. Um, but it's good for those people who yeah. can't get to the clinics mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason that might be. Yeah. Um, or because, I mean, a lot of clinics accept Medicaid, but there are a lot of people who maybe for some reason can't get on Medicaid. So, again, like then that leaves them without services. So, mm-hmm. these traveling harm reduction vans are super important. Mm. Um, for outreaching these people who can't get the services that they need, like you were saying, whether that's in a right. rural area or even right here in New York, um,
0: that's so true. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting the, which I think we talked about this in the last episode, but uh, <laughs> the monkeypox vaccine. I literally had to go to like a oh, yeah. warehouse in, okay, um, <laughs> in Brownsville off like the Livonia L, and it was like me and I saw like all the other gays gathering <laughs> <laughs> to go there so I could see how like having access to those centers is so important Mm -hmm. and more importantly awareness as well kind of access and awareness I feel like go very hand in hand yeah with that kind of thing because it's great to have like a traveling methadone clinic but if nobody knows about it
2: yeah then what good uh, does it do
0: exactly how are you gonna find it
2: yeah exactly and that's a huge thing like with narcan um Mm A quick plug. I was yes. I was gonna try and find <laughs> where I could like sneak this in here. Yeah. I will never not plug this. The mm-hmm. New York City Department of Health offers free online Narcan trainings. Mm. Um, literally cool. anyone can access them. You don't have to work in healthcare. You don't have to be a mental health clinician. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Literally anyone can access these trainings for free online, and they'll even mail you a Narcan kit to your Ooh. home again Whoa. for free. Can you send so us the link? Yeah, I will gladly link it to you guys. Description. Mm-hmm. And again, like, this is something that, like, we no know one. How do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, this is something that, like, no one like knows about. Like, I only knew about it when I started working at the clinic, like, mm-hmm. because they were like, you should know how to administer Narcan. And I was like, you're so no, right. Um, Absolutely. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> and everyone else should mm-hmm. too. And again, like, going back to access, I think people mm-hmm. don't realize that this is there. People don't know where they can go to get trained in this and Mm -hmm. like to really understand what Narcan does. Um, So it's a super important resource and I'm like Mm -hmm. more people should use it because then maybe they'll expand it out to other places and do it on like a way broader scale too. Um, Again. Mm-hmm. numbers are cha-ching dollar signs yeah. Also, let's run these numbers up and let's get more people up. signing up yeah. for these um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> webinar like training so yeah. I do remember a few weeks ago I was listening to I think it was the daily and they were talking about how Narcan is soon gonna be available over the counter mm-hmm. mm, Um, okay. and so that's exciting it will still be like behind the register at the pharmacy you have to ask for it mm-hmm. yes. which is like somewhat of a hurdle and it's Bit expensive.
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. The thing now, it's
1: sixty dollars for two doses or something like that. It's like pretty pricey. Yeah, yeah. the
2: cost is going to go up. Yeah, um, which, like, again, it's all about access. Like, Mm -hmm. yay, it's in pharmacies now, and it's like Mm -hmm. more accessible in that sense. But now it's sixty dollars. Like, a lot of people don't have the money to spend sixty dollars on that. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So then like you just kind of have to then find another resource. And then again, like, what if your nearest harm reduction center is super far away and really Mm -hmm. inconvenient for you to get to? Like then what are you supposed to do? Right. Um, Yeah, definitely.
1: Especially if you can't afford it. Like Yeah. mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So again, so it's like, yay, like we made this step, but like we stepped a little too far away now, so I am not bringing bring it yeah. all back. <laughs> um, well, I think like we're going evil... to need more
1: like producers for it, too, just to make it. like Maybe yeah. once oh, there's more public acceptance, there'll be pressure
0: to... It's going to create competition, mm-hmm. and it's ultimately mm-hmm. exactly. capitalism is going to capitalize. Yeah, exactly.
1: So at least it, right saying, do it for the right reason. She's going to do her
0: evil little thing, <laughs> and she's going to make it hard for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I get that. Thank you for bringing that up and plugging that for so many reasons, but also because it leads directly into my next question. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I, I do that there you I got. knew Thank exactly. And, and we planned that ahead of time, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we sat down in a coffee shop and we went, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And <laughs> I sat down with the president of Disney Channel and I said, I'm going to make history. <laughs> and that's what this <laughs> is. This is it. And uh, so what? I'm just... According to the Debbie Ryan thing, we're getting off topic. <laughs> I know, I'm, okay, yeah, continue. Yeah. Little, anywhere, little, um, <laughs> read your quote to us. So I read some, read, read my quote. She sees me staring at my laptop screen. It's. Uh, uh, but, so I found this thing from um, the College of Mount St. Vincent, which didn't know her before. But <laughs> Never heard of her, like, but she uh, sounds cute. It's not, but the, the dashes in the URL say, problem, drug, addiction, United States. So get into it. And there's a whole section on personal experience, and it says that 60% of the public say that they... Which, first of all, who is the public? I would <laughs>
2: what love am I to know the yeah, sample what the, size. What, what's, this, what's this big N for, this, for any statistic people out there? What's, what's the big <laughs> N that, for the sample? It's going to be like 12
1: people. <laughs>
0: literally, <laughs> that literally that what's the what big N? That was stuck out to me, but I was, <laughs> I was like, maybe we think about this a little more critically, <laughs> but... It just says that like 60% of the public (laughs) say they personally know someone who has experienced drug addiction. Um,
1: that sounds reasonable, actually. With that, yeah, totally. yeah,
0: I mean, like, the number checked out, but again, I was like, literally, what is this? Like, I need the, the family feud number. I need, like, the <laughs> Asked 100 Men.
2: I, I need, yeah, yeah. I, I need a, a fact check.
0: I need bit. a fact check. There is a diagram, and we will have this linked below. But oh, we got charts. Um, With that, kind of, we, so we talked about, like, Narcan certifications and stuff. What can people do... On like the outside, if you're like supporting somebody who's going through substance use disorder, mm-hmm. what are some other methods that can be employed to help or be of service?
2: Yeah, I mean, oh, shit, honestly, that's like a hard <laughs> question, like simply just being a support mm-hmm. and no, ne- I mean, well, first of all, blaming someone for anything is like fucked up, mm. but like especially like don't blame someone like their addiction Mm to just like yeah simply like supporting that person like you know I'm here for you whether or not you want to tell me what's going on like okay but like just so you know like I'm here if you need anything Mm -hmm. and like that alone does so much like you don't even like Mm -hmm. need to say anything more like just like if people know that you're in their corner then like they can come to you when they're ready if they want to talk about it But again, it's just that like initial, like, hey, I'm here, like giving them a little poke, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that is really all you can do sometimes, you know? And from there, I mean, if they say, hey, like, I think I want to cut back, like, but I don't really know how to do that, Mm -hmm. then maybe... That person can help their friend or partner, family member, whatever, find resources. Cause that can mm. be really overwhelming. But like if someone isn't ready for the resources, like they should not be like shoved into their face because that can also be really overwhelming. Right. So yeah, like support, being in the corner, and then just kind of checking in with them, seeing where they're at. And that's actually a huge I am also gonna plug this quick phrase. <laughs> There's this phrase that we always, always use as the clinic and really in social work in general, is that we have to meet people where they're at. Mm. Like, you can't expect someone to be where you want them to be in your mind and like what you expect mm-hmm. them to be, because like, that's just not gonna work. You have to meet them where they're at. Yeah. Um, Which I think is so important. And like the wording of it's kind of weird, but mm-hmm. it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if either of you guys had ever heard that like phrase. Before. I have actually. I,
0: I have definitely heard that before. I've I've heard it with a lot of different situations. I mean, yeah,
2: it could be used yeah. like for literally anything. For literally, I've heard
0: it referred to for like relationships. Yeah. So like you have to totally. meet them where they're at and you have to like communicate. Mm-hmm. So it's really just again like it it seems that so much of the conversation surrounding addiction and surrounding um support of those who are addicted. Ties so heavily into the idea of empathy
3: mm-hmm.
0: and like really, it, it, like, essentially, the saying is like, meet them where they're at, is just be empathetic. Yeah. Be like an empathetic human being. But no, for some totally. reason, that's so difficult. <laughs> it's so
2: difficult for people to like. In our
0: culture, bad. is to be like, oh, what is that? That's like more than five <laughs> letters. Like, I don't know
1: what that means.
2: I can't do that. Yeah. No, no.
1: It's... <laughs> I think I've mostly heard it in the context of domestic violence and, like, Mm. helping people kind of, like, get out of that situation also, which Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with empathy. But it's, like, if someone just wants to vent to you about their partner or, like, the way they make them feel, like, it's a lot of just asking, like, how does that make you feel or, like, when that happens or when they treat you that way, like – how does that affect you? As opposed to saying like they're a bad person because they're mm-hmm. immediately going to get defensive and just like not want to engage. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's the, the other context I've heard it in mostly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like recognizing like where you stand in that space and like where like where you stand, not physically mm-hmm. like not necessarily physically stand, but like yeah. where you stand, like just in relation to that person where they're at and like recognizing like yeah i have no idea what this person's life is and Mm -hmm. what their life is like and what they're going through but like i'm here to like understand and to just like be here for you right um and again like that takes a lot to say and like i think like you know we all want to help you know Mm -hmm. but sometimes like you need to just like recognize yeah you know Sometimes I don't know a damn thing and I'm going (laughs) to sit my ass back down. So, right. (laughs) That's, and that's important to know. Absolutely. Um, yeah.
0: It's important to know when you're talking out of your ass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Write that down. Write that down. (laughs) down. Write that down. Write write that down. down. (laughs) Yeah. Cause like now, even like with my clients, like. There have been plenty of times where they're like, you don't know me, like, you don't know my life, like, mm. fuck this, but, like, whatever. And you're like, and yes. I, I just say, yeah. you are exactly right. Like, I mm-hmm. will never know what it's like to be in your shoes. Right. Like, I have never used an opiate before. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be on methadone. Like, I'm here to just, like, sit and you tell me how it's going for you and
3: mm-hmm.
2: what you need and I'm here to help you do that and like again like a lot of people are like okay like wow you actually like owned up to like you have no idea what I'm talking about I'm like yeah I have no Mm -hmm. idea like what I'm talking about and like back when I was just an intern and I had this caseload and was basically a therapist but also an intern which (laughs) that's a that's a conversation for another time um I, (laughs) I was like yeah you know like I'm learning like we're both learning things and Mm -hmm. you know again like life as a whole is a learning curve so just knowing that too
0: right and what's maybe because i'd love to hear you speak more about like your job and Mm -hmm. the role and everything what's like one of the biggest things you've learned from being an intern into going like full-blown employment full-time yeah full-time
2: well (laughs) first of all it's that like The caseloads, like uh, my caseload's gonna be around at least 60 people or so. As an intern, I had 17 or 18 cap. So I have a lot more people um, and I'm only in two more days than I was before. So it's a very large increase. Uh Um, And like how like the clinic is, is like you're not seeing the same people all the time. People might be coming in once a month, once a week, once every other week, it kind of just depends on where they're at in recovery and mm-hmm. what their pickup schedule is for their methadone, but so like that helps to space it out a lot, but that is a huge thing. And also mm-hmm. too, like with this profession and like specifically working in um like addictions, social work, mm-hmm. is the burnout that happens a lot of the time right. and it happens so quickly. And like knowing When, like, you yourself need to take a step back and -hmm. just know, like, okay, like, I'm here, this is my job, and just having like really good separation for things. And, like, I've honestly, that's been the biggest thing I've learned is just how to keep my work and life separate Mm -hmm. and how to cope sometimes in not so healthy ways. Yeah. But, but, like, coping skills are huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, if I want to eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I'm going to do it. Then and yourself. that's my coping skill, babe. Treat yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're um, doing the Lord's work. Yeah. It's, yeah. So like, yeah, again, and like giving myself the space to feel is so important too. like, mm-hmm. I think like people expect a therapist or their social worker, like to always be okay for their mm-hmm. client all the time. And like, sometimes I'm not okay. Like sometimes I, need to like not see anyone for a few minutes and cry in my office like and that's real life like because sometimes like things just hit for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and like recognizing like okay well like what's leading me to have this reaction right now like I'm really upset about something what am I upset about specifically and like like connecting I was like does this have something to do with me does this have something to do with someone that I love Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: recognizing that too and again like giving myself the space to feel and Mm -hmm. also like recognizing how i you know we use these terms transference and counter transference and session with people or like to describe like a relationship that we have with clients if we're kind of like reflecting off of each other in like kind of an unhealthy way Mm -hmm. like recognizing like okay like am i engaging in some Transference and counter transference right now. Like, and then again, recognizing that, allowing myself to feel most yeah. importantly, but also like recognizing, okay, I think I might need to take a step back from this and just like reevaluate mm. and then move forward from there. Um, cause yeah, like people mm. always say, like, wow, I could never do what you do. We're like, mm. wow, like, how, like, how do you manage that? Like, Is that people are again like assuming that I'm okay all the time? They're like, wow, like you must like really have your shit together and like compartmentalize super well. I'm like, you know, sometimes I can't compartmentalize (laughs) super well and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's just a learning process no matter Mm -hmm. how long you've been in the profession. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's my spiel
0: no that makes so much sense though but I guess with that um what would you what would you say to somebody who came up to you and was like I want to go into what you do I, mm-hmm. I really want to be a social worker what would you what would you say to them what's your biggest piece of advice
2: oh wow that's
0: I'm like really good at this. But you <laughs> are so good at this. I'm like, <laughs> like,
2: damn, like you're stumping me with these questions. Yeah. We said um, to prepare uh, nothing. Yeah, and then you no, literally, yeah, literally, you guys were like, yeah, no, like you're good. Just like Don't show up. Anything. And I'm like, literally, just like no, have your I third
0: this. eye ripped open. <laughs> <laughs>
3: my I, I love this. Question. I love it. <laughs>
2: but yeah, like my piece of advice that I would give to anyone who wants to go into social work is to one be in therapy while you are trying to become a social worker oh, okay. like social workers need therapy too like yeah. because like
3: who watches the watchman sort it, of situation it, it's exactly <laughs> like
2: yeah like you can't expect social workers or therapists to not be in therapy themselves like mm-hmm. you need your own space to be able to like decompress and talk about what you're feeling um so yeah it would be like getting therapy, babes. Um yeah. <laughs> while you're doing it, um <laughs> even if like you don't feel like you need it, just having it there is so important. Mm-hmm. And also just like there's going to be a lot of like things that come up. Like I thought I was like so good. I was like, yeah, I am like emotionally stable. I'm chilling and I got mm-hmm. into school and I was like, "Wow, I am not <laughs> emotionally stable at all." Um And then again, like, it's just working on that, like, like, there's never going to be a time when like, you're ready to be a social worker, because like, Mm -hmm. we're human, we feel things like we're not going to be so like, stoic, deadpan all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like, to anyone who wants to go into the field, just like, remembering that like, you're human, and you are allowed to feel in this profession. Mm
1: -hmm. Have either of y'all
2: ever read, um, maybe you should
1: talk to someone? No,
0: no, but I've heard of it. I should very good. I feel like I should you've told that. me about I mean, it. <laughs> it was probably me. I
1: think it's like Lori Gottlieb. I will fact check, but um, it's written by a therapist about her relationship with her therapist mm-hmm. and some of her clients, and it like kind of takes you through her relationship with them and how they like make her reflect on her life and how that then changes like her relationship with her therapist. And she's going through a breakup during all this. So it's like, she's also very much like in emotional turmoil, but it's very just interesting to see the way she reflects on it and the different relationships. So Mm -hmm. I would recommend. I don't think I've ever cried so much during a book though. Yeah, I'm like, link me this book. Very emotional. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. That sounds amazing. Is
0: there an audiobook because um
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> because
1: some some of us get tired at night. <laughs> we have discussed I'm not an audiobook oh, early so I, um, look it and up that's yourself. That's works so well. <laughs> I'm like, please. I'm like here's 15 articles I read today oh, yeah. and Chase is like this is a YouTube video and then, <laughs> and then, and like, and then I'm like yeah. this is yeah. a 7 minute YouTube. Video. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Every it's all about accessibility. Spark notes. Spark notes. Little spark. I love Spark notes. We are
1: supportive of the neurodivergent girlies and their learning methods. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Period.
1: But yeah. Um back to what we were talking about. Back to what we were talking about. I think the (laughs) sorry, are you British suddenly? I'm shocked. (laughs) Um something I thought was really interesting was how Prenatal stress led to like a lot Mm. of people's substance use. So, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of people who had like stressors while they were young were much more likely to engage in drug use Mm -hmm. later in their lives. And especially when kids started using drugs below the age of 10, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I always think is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because Maybe it's just me, but like I at 10, like never even considered that. No, like I, I didn't drink until I was 18, but I think I had like access earlier because I mm-hmm. had an older brother mm-hmm. yeah. and like it was there. But like for some reason, I was like, I'm gonna be teetotal forever. Like, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> believe that in my heart of hearts. Um, but when I was like, Senior year of high school—it's like mm-hmm. a very normal time to start drinking, but like even then, I didn't do anything else for a while, like at all. Mm. And so I don't know. I guess just like kids having access to drugs at ten seems like there's more than just
0: yeah, but again, like it's attention like the, seeking.
1: It's like it's access. The, it's environmental yeah. factors. Like there's a lot of other ways that kids. No, exactly. I was,
0: I was just gonna say that there's so many, and feel free to weigh in, Anna Grace. So, <laughs> so I, I feel like there's like uh, so many different environmental factors. Like it could literally yeah. just be like a kid fucking, I guess, trips and falls face first into a pile of coke, and then <laughs> that's kind of what, what happened to <laughs> it like, it was like, a, be like,
2: it's giving shameless. Why, I was shameless? It's shameless. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah,
0: as I said it. I was but, like, that's fully a plotline and shame. Yeah.
2: I mean, something that you guys are talking about right now, I'm gonna mm-hmm. give a quick little plug here. Yeah. There's this um scale. It's called the ACES scale. ACES stands for adverse childhood experiences. Yeah, like oh, Shannon. Mm-hmm. I wrote down this down. Don't you watch? Yeah. ACES. She wrote it down. <laughs> um and yeah, like it in the ACES study, it was shown that. Mm-hmm. People who scored higher on the ACEs scale. So if they had more of these adverse childhood experiences, then they had negative health outcomes in mm-hmm. later adulthood. So like heart disease, addiction, again, like, like hypertension, all these things. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, like there's this distinct connection between childhood stressors and, I mean- not only addiction but negative health outcomes like as a whole right um so it really goes to show like wow like a lot can happen when you're young and look how it affects you later yeah mm. um, wow. For example, <laughs> more than she is than four aces, <laughs> is literally, yeah, yeah. For example, more than <laughs> would, four aces the increase
1: the risk of addiction seven to ten folds. Exactly, yes. According yeah, to this man's in two thousand and three, okay. I don't know you. how to pronounce his name. It Doesn't matter. That's
2: fine. Um, <laughs> I have the citation. Like like, yeah, yeah, like, i like, thank you for pulling yeah. up the numbers. Y'all did. Y'all did the research, and, did the research. and that's why we, we I said, said you, you didn't need to prep. did the prep. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, just again, goes to show. Um, Okay. I was also, sorry. No,
0: sorry. I was going to say like we didn't even really touch on like the phenomenon of crack babies or anything
1: like that. Oh, I did not get into that.
0: Of crack babies? No. I just knew about it. Okay, so I actually went to high school with a crack baby. Well, somebody who like grew up. Being a fit, and this is a very like crass term Mm. for it. I don't know the official Mm -hmm. lingo for it or whatever, but it was found. It was like discovered back in the eighties or nineties or something like that, like height of the um height of the crack epidemic. Prenatal
1: cocaine exposure. Yes,
0: prenatal cocaine exposure. That once crack was ingested in the systems of pregnant people, it got. Into the infant, and then they were born with um, intellectual disabilities and kind of just really had a tough go of things. So I like put it in a very inelegant way, but that's really something that I think is kind of again left out of the conversation when it surrounds addiction is like the way this trickles down mm-hmm. and like affects families. And I don't know if you, Anna Grace, if you have any like cases or have witnessed stuff like this where it just like it's a generational thing
2: I mean yeah like whenever we get somebody new in the clinic we Mm -hmm. go through this whole intake process and we ask them lots of questions and we ask them a lot about family dynamics and we ask Mm. did either of your parents use any substance like alcohol other drugs whatever Um, and I mean sometimes yeah like we (laughs) see that their parents also used but there are also a lot of times where their parents didn't like Mm -hmm. it's not so like cause and effect as some people might think it to be. Yeah. Um. But even to like touching on what you mentioned with pregnant women, like I actually worked briefly with um a pregnant client at the clinic. Mm-hmm. And like this stigma, not only like from like the outside, like community of people who
3: mm-hmm.
2: aren't on like methadone or like facing addiction, but also the stigma that happens within mm-hmm. the community too. Like, people at the clinic who are there getting their methadone, giving her dirty looks, saying things to her about her being pregnant and being there and trying to get her methadone. Like, it's, yeah, like, a lot of people don't even realize, like, that happens on a certain level. Oh, my God. And, like, this woman is just trying to get through it just the same as everyone else there is. Mm -hmm. Yet, like, again, like, there's all this stigma, like, because she's pregnant um and yeah like pregnant women like pregnant people in general can like beyond methadone obviously like they have to talk to the doctor there's a lot of other factors but mm-hmm. it can be a feasible treatment for them so yeah. um that's another thing but just wanted to touch base on that really no quick. just course. like because yeah, you mentioned yeah, yeah. it but no that's yeah. a
0: really good point and I think. Sorry if I'm like veering us No, here. that's exactly like this is what we're about. Yeah, it's what we're like here for. This, we're, we're here to talk about it. We're here yeah. to get into it.
1: Yeah. When you're talking about like the genetic risk too, a lot of what I found is that so many people mm-hmm. think it's pretty heavily on genetics, but mm-hmm. it's usually more probabilistic than determinative. So, like, okay. it obviously increases your chances, but it's just one factor of many. Mm-hmm. It's not like an all be
2: all. Totally. Again, like, there's a lot, like, in terms of environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, in social work, we always say using the person and environment perspective. Like, we Mm -hmm. are products of our environment. We, like, affect our environment, and it affects us, too. And that Mm -hmm. really ties into addiction. That, again, like, yeah, like, genetics is just one little blip part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And your environment really makes a larger impact on it, I think, but also I'm a little biased just because of what I learned <laughs> in school, but it really, ma- I mean, it makes sense when you think about it too, though. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I think that also is kind of why it's hard when like, For me, in that situation, I think of couples who are using together, like the ability of them to both Mm. get sober is so difficult because if one or the other suddenly like isn't on the same path, it's just like a compounding problem.
2: I'm so glad that you said that because like I've seen times where people say like their biggest trigger for using for them Mm. is when somebody else is too. Mm -hmm. Like, Uh and yeah, right, yeah, yeah, who's out there nodding, who's out there nodding right now? It's, like it's it's so, like it makes sense. Like again, yeah, like if someone next to you, somebody close to you, like just like in your life, in your relationships, whatever, a is roommate, using. A a friend, a partner. Exactly, right. yeah, like if someone around you is using, it can make it a lot more difficult for you to not use. Because mm-hmm. um, again, sometimes simply just being around it is a trigger in itself for people. Um Mm -hmm. like it's just like how, you know, we just like join in on things, right? Like our friend says they're going to the store, we're like, I'll go too. It's Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it's on a different scale, but it's like that same idea, right? Like you don't wanna be left out. Mm
1: -hmm. It's this fear
2: of like not being like engaged in like whatever it is that this other person is doing Mm -hmm. that like oftentimes then like drives people to continue or to engage in whatever and it's Yeah, so thank you for bringing that up because again, like couples, makes it really difficult if they're both living together and both using, and Mm. sometimes too, like they're at different points in recovery and they're at like different stages of motivation too. Mm -hmm. Like one might be a lot more motivated to get going in their recovery and like to really like make a lot of changes in their life, and the other person might not. And so then it's like, okay, well we live together, so (laughs) now what do we (laughs) do? Um, Yeah. I think it happens a lot with alcohol too, just being in
1: environments where it's more readily available. Yes, yes, like definitely totally people don't realize how like easy it is to be like, Oh yeah, I'll just have one drink when you're trying not to and it's like right yeah it,
2: it just makes it more difficult so yeah it's all part of the well cycle. that's
0: weird yeah we've been talking a lot about drugs i mean
2: alcohol mm-hmm. is a drug yeah, but we didn't true. even talk yeah, about it yeah we don't it. even yeah. i know alcohol is yeah. a whole nother ball game so
0: prevalent i feel like there's a whole other can of worms I know, it really is i really want to dig into because i know in, in like my family like the addiction is so prevalent and mm-hmm. everything specifically like alcohol we've also had like a couple heroin addicts here and there it's just like A whole thing, but specifically with with alcohol, like they're the access is just so Mm -hmm. easy. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere.
1: We've talked about this doing comedy too. Like a lot of times, if you're going to a mic or a show, they're like support the bar, bar, and Mm -hmm. it's like if you're not drinking. like, the soda's free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> so there's what do I do? like, I much prefer venues that have food and stuff. So, like, yeah. you can still feel like you're engaging without mm-hmm. doing that. But, like, yeah, it's not totally. always the most comfortable to just say, like, oh, I'm not drinking tonight.
2: Yeah. And also, mm-hmm. too, like, I feel like a lot of times, again, like, if everyone around you is drinking and somebody isn't, then it's like, oh, well, why aren't you drinking? Sometimes mm-hmm. people don't want to answer. And, like, they right. don't have to give an answer. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be just
0: I hate when people, they're like, why aren't don't you drinking? Ask. Yeah. My yeah, mom yeah, does yeah, that like, sometimes at a like, restaurant. She'll be like, you don't do want to you... drink? And I'm like, you do? <laughs>
2: yeah, like, it's 3 p.m. on a know? Tuesday. I'll get an iced tea if I want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like, who's maybe clutching her pearls want, now? <laughs> yeah, like maybe I just want a cute little Shirley Temple. <laughs> right. Yeah. And leave me be. I don't need a dirty Shirley. Exactly.
0: And it's also like, yeah, it's just so easy. And I feel like in large cities too at least. Like I remember my friend and her cousin just came to visit and her cousin is 15. And I was like, what the fuck do you do with a 15 year old in (laughs) In New New York? York. Because I was like, all I do is like hang out with friends in bars. Mm -hmm. And that for somebody like going through addiction, it just seems like it's just every especially alcohol addiction. It's just Mm -hmm. everywhere.
2: Yeah. And my gears are turning. Yeah. Um. Think about it too, in terms of like college campuses, right. schools. Like, mm-hmm. I drank a lot in college, oh, especially absolutely. like my sophomore year of college. Like, mm-hmm. if I was now drinking the same amount that I was drinking in college, people would come up to me and say that they are concerned for my well being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Anna Grace, like you need some help. Right. But because I was in college. Didn't matter that I was going out four nights a week and literally blacking out every night I went out like Mm -hmm. that. Like was it's so normalized for people in college because it's just part of the college experience. But like, Mm. why? (laughs) Like, it seems (laughs) pretty unhealthy to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's yeah. And again, like it's just like part of the fun, like everyone's going out and then it kind of goes back to this other thing. Like, okay, well everyone is drinking. Like, I feel like I need to, too. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not going to have a good time if I'm not, Mm -hmm. because like alcohol is just so embedded into college culture. Right. Um, And then again, too, like kind of with classism, like, okay, you have a college student here who is drinking a lot. And like, if like sat down and like, like given diagnostic like criteria could probably meet it for an alcohol use disorder Mm -hmm. and like be in treatment Mm -hmm. but like you have an adult maybe you have someone who's unhoused who drinks the same amount and it's Mm -hmm. oh like well they are the problem here the college student isn't the problem because they're just having fun because that's just yeah they're they're just being a kid yeah Yeah, exactly they're just being a kid so it's just Mm -hmm. such a huge issue And same thing even like with drug use. Like I feel like cocaine can be really popular on college campuses. And Mm -hmm. like again too, like classism here. Like, oh, it's it's fun, it's a party drug, like Mm -hmm. whatever. But yeah, like you have somebody else in a different situation using it and oh, they're an addict. They're a crackhead, right? Yeah. It's just so like on complete opposite ends, Mm -hmm. or like made out to be on complete opposite ends. But like when when boils down to it, whatever, like, it's all kind of the same, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I
1: feel like, I don't know about you, but even when I would, like go to student health in college and they would ask you to like write down how much you're drinking and stuff like oh that's so shame everyone fucking lies it's, yeah because uh, yeah. you don't want to be like i've had 10 drinks four days this week <laughs> yeah, they're right. gonna be like girly yeah you yeah. are like ones? three to four
2: yeah, like, yeah exactly <laughs> no one
1: is seriously reporting so it's like yeah i don't know and at that point i didn't feel shameful about it like because i felt like i was doing what everyone else was doing but looking mm. back obviously now you're like was I yeah, okay? It's like, yeah, I was, like, why was I drinking yeah. purple
0: gold straight out of the bottle yeah, exactly. I was a monster? Yeah, somebody like, slapping in the
1: have bag is checked in on me. Right. <laughs> something. And <laughs> was... it's not like I'm not gonna do it again. It's just like it's not every yeah. night now. Like, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's it shouldn't be that frequent because that is like binge drinking yeah. like to its fullest. Yeah. And again, really. it's
0: like that just makes me think like it is um. It is part of college culture, just kind of ingrained into that as a whole. But then that also makes me think like environmental again. Because mm-hmm. if you're like, I went to college in a rural area. I went to college in Southern Rhode Island and there's like just shit to do. Mm-hmm. And you really can't go anywhere. Yeah. If you don't so have a car, like, you could okay, take well the bus we'll for an hour. Up to hang Providence. out and we'll drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if you're like um, in like I have a friend who's in medical school at like University of Iowa what do you think there is to do there? <laughs> like you mm-hmm. just go cow tipping and you drink yeah. is the whole thing.
2: And I mean, even to now, like using that to segue into like more recent times, the pandemic really like oh, yeah. yeah exacerbated got, a lot exacerbated a lot of people's mm-hmm. addictions in general. Because again, like it's that sense of boredom, right? Like right. I'm inside, I don't have anything to do. Like okay, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go to the store real quick and get what I need to. Have some fun at home. Yeah. Well, and Um, I feel like
1: a lot of the societal, like, Pressures of like people noticing like were decreased. Like, no one's going to smell it on your breath. Exactly. No one's going to mm. see how you're dressed quite as much. Like, yeah, you only need this, like your head up for Zoom. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, people you were can... working
0: from home. They were like, nobody knows it's whiskey in this car. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Glamorize. Yeah. Like, exactly. that exactly. yeah. Yeah,
2: like yeah. using that. Yeah. And again, like, yeah, saying like, oh, well, we're drinking at 9 a.m. now. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. um Yeah. I don't know. It just was a point no, that I wanted that... to.
0: Is so true. I worked at a liquor store in 2020 and that <laughs> we had a that's You're what like, you I do. know exactly what's happening. No, it was <laughs> kinda I mean from like a, an outs very much outside perspective, but it's like we had regulars, yeah. There, because sure. we everybody was doing the curbside pickup,
2: mm-hmm. but you oh, would yeah. notice
0: that yeah, it was like the same, the same cars, names, same yeah, coming in like every four days, yeah. And I was like, "Let me tell you, honey, this is not Bloomingdale's. <laughs> this is the one place you do not want to be a regular." Yeah, <laughs> like it was just it was such a such a problem. But that's yeah, that's huge with the pandemic because I feel there were so many. Things with mental health at large that were exacerbated at that time because ultimately, human, and this is where my anthropology degree is actually coming kind in of handy. <laughs> and um, humans are social creatures down to their bones. Yeah. And like loneliness and experiencing loneliness is a survival mechanism mm-hmm. because loneliness kills. Yeah. Mm-hmm humans specifically because there, there are other species that can live on their own but mm-hmm. we're not fucking hermit crabs but
2: no exactly yeah exactly we are yeah. social beings we need human interaction mm-hmm. in order to like function properly because like if not mm-hmm. like it will literally just send you into a spiral if you don't oh, have yeah. it yeah um yeah thank you chase no yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> it's like but it was yeah and i could totally see how it would like, kind of send people who are like teetering on the edge kind of off the deep end, yeah, with something like Covid because like it was important that we all stayed apart and mm-hmm. like wore our masks and social distance and everything. but it's also it's very there's a the push and pull of it all is like, yeah, then it it just made people who were already isolated and already on the fringes of society like even more so yeah in that position and it's and just like
1: kind of, that combined with the shutdown of some like treatment clinics and right. access and stuff like that um yeah. it just makes mm-hmm. harder for people who are struggling in that time to obtain those resources.
0: Oh yeah, and I can't even imagine like somebody who is like on the edge of recovery suddenly that happens and everything shuts down it just complete like backslide imminent kind mm-hmm. of thing. But yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, what I guess with that like as as somebody who works in the space like what what did covid change about it? I know like you recently graduated from school so like covid has been like very intertwined with your experience but
2: Yeah. I mean the clinic I know like had to take a lot of like drastic measures cuz like it wasn't so easy mm-hmm. to just close down cuz the mm-hmm. clinic also offers just like basic healthcare services like physicals if people want to get on hep c treatment things of that sort so like Mm -hmm. also like psych services so it's like people were receiving a lot of other things than methadone so i mean like up until recently we had to wear masks in the clinic like i think it was literally just changed like a month ago Mm -hmm. um like that was lifted for healthcare sites um like in new york city specifically but like that i guess was like the biggest thing that like kind of changed but also too like i was running a group while i was there and like my supervisor and other staff members were saying that like groups used to be hopping at the clinic like people were always coming in and out like they were Mm -hmm. a really good like social tool and then with covid like one like people like just like want to be careful Mm -hmm. but also like people got used to being alone. Right. And now, like, it's a little bit more difficult for people to come out to a group. Um, especially because then, like, in the past, the groups, too, they would have, like, coffee and donuts. And it was a very nice, like, mm. social atmosphere. It didn't seem so daunting. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, we weren't allowed to have coffee or donuts because that means that people would have to take off their mask. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, like, it Spreading was just... Terms, yeah, right. it was just, like, we're going to sit in this group and talk, which is very nerve wracking for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Like understandably so. So that like really shifted a large part of like community at the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um like and that was like a direct result from the pandemic. Right. Um that was probably like the biggest one that I saw while I was there. Um but yeah.
0: Do you ever lead group sessions or is that more therapists that do that or mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's the situation with yeah. that? Or are you more individual?
2: I mean, I mainly do individual. I ran the group mm-hmm. like in conjunction with my supervisor because it was the first group I had ever ran in general. So mm-hmm. she like walked me through the process. But I also like was given the opportunity to facilitate a lot. Um, and mm-hmm. it was a grief group. So I facilitated oh, okay. our conversations around grief and loss in the community. Um, but... Oh, my God. I always (laughs) used to have been a (laughs) thought. But, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, going back to what you're saying. I mostly do individual therapy with people. Um, Yeah, the group was just like a,
0: a little bit. Well, like this kind of leads into what I was hoping to talk about next, because like group, I feel like is something specifically we see so much of in media, mm-hmm. and there's so much media surrounding. Like we talked about Shameless before, with like mm-hmm. the kid falling the fucking coke plate, <laughs> yeah, and like all of that. Is there, has there been any media you've seen that it's kind of a two hander? Like any media you've seen that like has gotten. This so like addiction, recovery, all of that, like so drastically wrong. And one that has gotten it like so wholly and completely right.
2: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And again, like and like going back to the point too, is like there's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like the most wrong you can be is like giving into stigma of any right. sort. Mm-hmm. Like, again, like Using these like pictures that we've just like as a society been like bred to like f- like when like we think of an addict, like we think of like we have a picture in our minds, right? Mm-hmm. so like that anything that like portrays that, I feel like would be wholly wrong, yeah, but again, like there's no like right way either, mm-hmm. because people are like at different points. So yeah like there yeah. yeah like there's no like right portrayal of it. Mm-hmm. I mean I guess like any right portrayal would just be showing that it's not linear. Right. <laughs> that yeah. would maybe be like the most right. Um but again like there's really no other like specific thing that media could do, I mm-hmm. don't think. Um unless like it was like a documentary maybe, but any yeah. like blockbuster film <laughs> like yeah. yeah. I don't know if they would be able to get it quote-unquote right Mm -hmm. yeah um
0: yeah because i know for um like we talked about shameless, and that's a huge um piece of media that spans a lot of topics that we Mm -hmm. we as a as a society don't really talk about as much but
2: yeah
0: um there were a lot of people i saw online specifically who were saying that it was a really good example of um, displaying accurate representations of recovery, of bipolar, mm. of all of this sort of. So, I guess what I'm attempting to get at with my barely like, <laughs> coherent thoughts is um, like You're doing maybe. So great. Thank you so much. <laughs> hair flip. <laughs> I think uh, hair flip with it. Uh, and this is why for I wear the bald boy the- You're for the bold boy. <laughs> but uh, what what is kind of the relationship with uh, mental health? to addiction or substance use disorder. Cause obviously we know this is a disease and it's a yeah mental debilitating mental condition.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. More often than not, they are co-occurring. Yeah. Like with addiction like of any substance. Like mm-hmm. we might see depression, anxiety, bipolar, like again, obviously not mm-hmm. to like overgeneralize either, because I don't want to do that. Like, but more often than not, yeah, we do see them right. both happening at the same time. And mm-hmm. then it's like kind of just like this feedback loop almost like mm-hmm. you have these symptoms and if like your symptoms aren't being managed, then that can act as a trigger for using. And then you're kind of just stuck in this circle. Yeah. Um. So yeah, huge, yeah. huge point <laughs> made. Um. I mean, yeah, like Shannon earlier, you said comorbid. That's like the mm. technical term. Mm. Um, the yeah. Yeah. Like to describe like when you have two different just dis- like, disorders happening at the same time Mm -hmm. i forget that people can't see if i'm like doing air quotes but yeah yeah. Um, yeah, because like disorder like sometimes sounds like stigmatizing but it's also like Mm -hmm. what it is like the terminology is so hard to get right i mean like again like there's no right answer like people are more comfortable with certain terminology it kind of just depends Mm -hmm. um when I was looking up like the aces
1: too, it's it kind of said that they're also like triggers for these other things. So mm-hmm. it's like internalized versus externalized disordered d- disorders, and like internalized would be like anxiety, depression. External mm-hmm. would be like the way you interact with people, like aggression, mm-hmm. addiction, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they're kind of like two sides of the same the same coin, almost. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense, and. Not sure where I was going with that. And I fully started a thought and then (laughs) ended it immediately. No, (laughs) that's me.
2: (laughs) The train goes and then it leaves. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's like in the (laughs) office when he's like,
1: oh, gosh, I just forgot it. Oh, he was like, and I don't know where that sentence <laughs> is going. Yeah, I like, forgot it contagious? while I was saying like, we're like literally that, just, literally, the quote. We said we're not the doing the best deadness. today. Yes, okay. Yes.
0: <laughs> Happy Pride. At the time of this recording, it was New York City. The Pri- day after yes. Pride. Yeah. yeah. So
1: um, we normally end in Fuck Mary Kill, but I don't think that's like, I feel appropriate. Like that's not appropriate for this circumstance. So I no. thought of yeah. an alternative topic to do for our Fuck Mary Kill. And say cool. it. So we're going queer mu- musical artists. Okay. Boy genius. Remy Wolf, Muna, fuck, fuck Mary, Mary Kill. Kill. I know it's purposely hard. Oh I'm God. here to hurt the gays.
2: Today. Okay, like I <laughs> and really
0: as a as a queer man, I'm so peripheral to this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like- <laughs> but like, I have to ask, like, boy genius, like we're talking, like it would Whole be banned all, all three at the same time, not just Phoebe by herself. <laughs> <laughs> God. Why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I would... Oh. Yeah, you have to fuck all three at once and marry all three or kill all three.
1: Wow. Triple
0: homicide.
2: You know what? I guess I'm just going to start a commune. Um, And I think <laughs> that Boy Genius would 100% be down to be in a like lesbian marriage commune with me. So I would marry Boy Genius. Fuck Muna because... Joe and Naomi, all of them. I'm like, oh my god! Like, if anyone <laughs> ever watches any videos of them, like, doing like, the but you're really thing, gonna kill Remy? I I think I might have to kill my girl Remy. Uh, it's like oh, you can't ask wow. me ask this of me. Like, yeah. there's no right answer <laughs> to this. Like, maybe there <laughs> is in your mind. We all have our own right answers. But mm. yeah, that's. Final answer. Understood. Yeah. That's I fully it. made it difficult,
1: but um, I don't think I could kill Remy, personally.
0: Remy? Really?
1: Oh, I have to do it? Oh, no. I'm just okay, saying, I, I don't was think like,
0: I could. I She's looking at me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't I know. know no. about that was also loves knows. Remy, so. That was I so love hard. Her. Love, Remy. I know, and I
2: love her, <laughs> yeah. too, but I guess not enough. I'm, I'm sorry, girl. Enough. I'm sorry, girl. Eiji's just really trying to get death, in on the Clearly. Clearly. I... I mean more so I mean it's it's I I hate to use the phrase bigger bang for your buck because that just oh, like sounds gosh. so wrong Ooh. and like awful. But, but like
0: Physically more bang for your buck. Physically yeah. more bang for <laughs> your
2: buck. Um just, you know, because like
0: I yeah, love options. them all. Mm-hmm. If
2: if I could have it my way, I would marry all of them and we could all live in a commune together. And like and i've always said garden that. and <laughs> bake bread so <laughs> and be gay together um, okay, but i can't it. but i can't have everything that i want so yeah <laughs> if people wanna find you on the internet yeah, where can anywhere, they find, if you, if find you, me on if the they internet, you join your you commune for, um, <laughs> if they wanna join my commune um, <laughs> i mean shit i guess i'll link my instagram Yeah, um, i'm at anag.g G on instagram um and if you want to add me on LinkedIn too, because we are networking queens out here, <laughs> yeah. just look up my first and last. Endorse name your on skills. Endorse my skills. <laughs> Endorse your
0: skills. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, y'all. Right. Be sure to follow
1: us on Instagram. I'm at Shanvi Ferry. Uh, and this is Chase A. Hoffman.
0: Correct. Yes, correct. Both of us. Gorgeous. First, middle initial last.
1: And please follow. And I've always said that. Have a good week and we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.